0: Afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I'm speaking to you from partially cloudy Southern California.
1: Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I'm coming to you from Harlem, and it is nice and in the 70s here, and and it's pretty lovely.
2: Mm. And I am Seth Rodney. I am a senior editor at the Hyperallergic blog. And a recent author of a book titled The Personalization of the Museum Visit, which is all about museum visiting and how it's changed. And I am coming to you from the Boogie Down Bronx.
3: Hi, I am Sarah Bond, and I am coming to you from uh, rainy Iowa City now, where uh, we are hanging out with all the political candidates until February. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Oh, my
0: goodness. That's so, right. So we are uh, continuing our conversation about the 1619 Project, and in particular, uh, oh, this is to remind our listeners, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Rodney, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> that we practice a form of what I like to call, we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together, and after that inelegant introduction. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation about the 1619 Project, and in particular, uh, we decided to let the conversation continue on cultural appropriation and music. Maybe it'll wander from there, but um, uh, everyone kind of felt they had some areas that they hadn't gotten to in the last podcast that they wanted to. Uh, So I'm just going to step back and then see as much as possible. Let's just let the conversation go. So there were some other examples you guys had that uh, you wanted to bring up.
1: So I think we ended on Joni Mitchell, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> your
0: uplifting story about Joni mm-hmm. Mitchell. I keep thinking
1: of Joni, Joni Jackson's song, Got, got Till It's Gone and Q-Tip Going, Joni Mitchell Never Lied. That was one of his, the things that sort of cycles in that mm-hmm. song. Um, but I, I was thinking about blackface, and I was thinking about mm-hmm. how is it is, is music a cultural uh, um, appropriation a, 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 a form of blackface?
3: Mm. So that's
1: the question I wanted to ask you guys. Mm. I, again, I have some thoughts about it, but I put that out there in the middle of the oracle. What do you guys got?
0: I think well, it, it can be. Is I'll leave it. Just my little thing is yes, I definitely think mm. it can be. But Seth, please
2: go <laughs> on. Uh, uh, yeah, I suppose sort of be cliche about it. The proof is in the pudding, right? Like I, I think I think we have to think through individual examples. I think you mm-hmm. know I wrote a piece on, on Miley Cyrus Miley Cyrus for Hyperallergic a couple of years mm-hmm. ago because. P- at some point, she showed her ass, and she was oh the the music video she did MCV with Marvin Thicke, mm-hmm. where she like almost literally showed her ass. Uh, no, she showed and it. The way <laughs> the way the way that she was behaving. No, I think actually what precipitated the the brouhaha was that she at some point kind of disavowed her hip hop affiliations. She basically mm-hmm. said, "I'm tired of this. Guys always talking about girls on my cock and big cars and la la la." And she mm-hmm. said, "I'm just, you know, going to return to this other sound and I'm going to turn my back on that." And I think that's relatively soon after that she got married. People were up in arms are like, "Oh, now that you you know made some money off mm-hmm. of us and you can like go back to being this pure, Lily White woman who is." uh, uh, uh Ashamed of the kind of gangster uh, or um, overly commodified associations that you, we that you used to plug through your music,
0: right?
2: mm-hmm. and I wrote a piece that basically said basically said making the argument that Miley Cyrus is not the person to look at to gauge the, our sort of uh, a, a sense of the limits or appropriateness of appropriation. Like she's mm-hmm. not the one. Like mm-hmm. she she's 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 a. Ch- I think that intellectually, emotionally, she's a, she's a, at the time she was a bit of a child. She was a child. She was just trying things on and seeing if they fit and seeing if they could make her money, and then mm-hmm. trying something else on, like outfits for mm-hmm. uh, an evening out. I I think that people forget that this is very much the American story. Mm. Um, that that we appropriate and, and and I'm kind of muddying the waters here, but I'm hoping that we can like clear them eventually, but i I'm reminded that this is something that is a very American story to appropriate a uh uh, uh uh a persona to take on a persona that is not the quote unquote authentic you whatever or however that i think it's a cultural you. story
0: i don't think it's just american
2: right. but, but. Well, well, fair enough but it but it comes it's sort of weaponized in america right like mm. it, it it comes to its like Sort of grandest fruition in America that we adopt personas, America. we adopt lifestyles, we adopt um, ways of seeing the world, we adopt uh, belief systems, and we act them out on a stage. Mm. So, I I I, don't, I, I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm saying all that to say I'm confused. <laughs> yeah
3: yeah. <laughs> Right Can I can I ask a question here uh, sure. Because I, I've been struggling with something that, that is similar Is that a few uh, weeks ago Or maybe it was now months ago An article came out on uh, Digital blackface And the use of memes mm-hmm. um, And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. essentially the idea was that The most popular okay. memes are usually of black Black Housewives, uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta, often Nene Leaks and um, a lot of black women, and mm-hmm. and white people really like to use black memes in order to express outrage, in order mm-hmm. to express hyperbolic emotion. Oh yeah. And this uh-huh. article called it out to say, essentially, white people are using digital blackface in order to express emotions they're too afraid to Ooh. express without the use of mm. black people. And I just mm. wondered mm. what you guys thought about that.
1: Mm. Oh, definitely. I didn't read that article, but I'm so excited by it. I have to, um, I have to find it because, I, because I'm a meme person and I think that archives should be collecting them. Because they're really of the mm. moment and they mm. pop up almost instantaneously after uh, um, some nationwide issue comes out, and I've noticed that there are different kinds of memes. And one of those memes that you just described is blackface. I didn't call it blackface, but I remember thinking, "Well, who put this out? And who put it together? Who put it together? Who puts this out? And and how does it how does it live in the cultural imagination on the internet? Right? So I don't take a blackface to mean a black purpose or a black person behind it, like a black thing, right? And the memes are really good f- to look at as a way to um, look at what's kind of always been there, but now this is just the new form it ta- it's taking.
0: I would say, so my, th- if you want to say that, quote unquote, again, I, I, so I'm always saying, quote unquote, black, quote unquote, white, when we have these conversations, and I'm just going to stop doing it because it's irritating. So, um, you know, <laughs> t- to, to, um, so, to say if If the point of the the article is that the germ of what is typically signified as an authentic experience in American culture is black, mm-hmm. okay. If the point of the article is to say that we are reduplicating blackface oppressive structures in the twenty first century because of that use, I would say absolutely not. And that is a stretch. and and mm-hmm. and, and and again, makes the move that I that I described earlier. This is not the problem, right? Sharing black memes is not the problem. This is not why we still have uh an overrepresentation of black men in American prisons. This is not why we have so much poverty in black communities. This is not I mean this is th- these are structural problems that are not going to be addressed by calling out memes because that's not the source of the problem.
3: Right. But Travis, can I ask you something? Can I Yes, please. Yeah, I just I I just wanted to ask, like when we make black people absorb feelings and ideas and hyperbole like anger and we reassociate anger with black people through memes, isn't that also reinforcing negative stereotypes that also do feed in then to the idea of the angry black woman or the angry black man? I mean, aren't we reinforcing stereotypes because white people have a fear Of being perceived in this way, and so we allow Black people through memes to take on that persona for us. I mean, isn't that part and parcel? Can we really separate it the way that you're saying?
0: So I, I think yes. I think that's a fair question. I think I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, and I'll I'll try and just pick two so Steph can jump in. Um, One, I don't think we, uh, I don't think you use the word make Black people. I don't feel like we can circumscribe. Quote. I'm sorry. Black reactions to anything. I think that autonomy is something that visits all of us rarely, and that includes white and black people. Um, and so I, but but it does vid- visit all of us at times. And so I, I would probably take issue with the idea of making. And two, I would also I would also question. That there isn't a deep pleasure and desire in the unrestricted expression of emotion and that it is not necessarily a cross that we are making black people bear. It's actually Mm. something that we feel restricted by white waspy culture. And so it's not oppressing, it's an attempt to liberate, and the only way that we've been able to do that in the 21st century is that blackness has become the signification of liberation in all of its handicapped mm. forms. So that, that's, my, that's my response.
2: And, and I want to say, I want to ask the question, and this um, I'm posing to all of you, um, but Sarah, you may want to jump in on this first, is what does it look like if... I'm going to use the quotes here because I just I feel like they're necessary. Like quote unquote white culture doesn't isn't affected by doesn't take anything from quote unquote black culture. Like what would that what would our what would our society look like if that were the case? Because boring. Mean, Right well no, not only not only no, boring, no, 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 not no. only <laughs> not only boring not fair not fair go ahead not not only boring but just That's like,
1: feeding into some things yeah. no, no no i just i was joke i was of course, no, no, of course. No, but
2: <laughs> no but antiseptic i mean can you i mean literally or more to the point segregated right cuz you oh, can you yeah. imagine going into town quote unquote you go into town and you go to like um bob's burgers or you go to like the opera or you go to um The dance recital, and then you literally go to the other side of the tracks to experience "quote unquote" real culture—the mm-hmm. juke joint mm-hmm. and the 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 cipher that's happening mm-hmm. down. Uh, that's Memphis. Uh, uh, what uh, you're on, describing as Memphis. Like, yeah. Right. This, but this is my point. Like, if we, and I'm not saying we just throw out the whole idea of cultural appropriation being way too complicated to like place on our backs and carry, but. The alternative, right, the other side of that continuum, which is a siloing of cultures, we don't want that either, Like because that's that's segregation.
1: Mm -hmm. It can never happen, though. It's what, once you put something out there, it's in the world. Mm -hmm. It's in the world. It's how we're dealing with it, how we think about it, how it's used in the capitalist culture, all of that. And I want to say this, too, about this notion of white culture being born or whatever. Of course, Travis, I know you're joking, but Mm -hmm. immediately I thought about what I would have done my PhD on had I um, had time or another body or in another dimension. And mm-hmm. it would have been on folks like Burkowski or the, or the Beats mm-hmm. and to really mm-hmm. kind of, you know, dip into. And also the women who were Beats, which you never hear about, um, right. or even the black Beats, right. which you never hear about. You hear about, yeah. the, you know, the core folks and what drove them. You know, what was mm-hmm. this idea of free? What were they rebelling against? And that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And I, no one's going to get, I'm never giving up anything that people associate with white culture that I like. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, I'm interested. And so there's no essentialization of either for me, but there are things that are important to point out when it comes to cultural production and
0: who benefits. And I go back to that. And so, but yeah. Can I piggyback on both those things to ask Sarah a question about, I mean, in, in, in fairness, how structurally, intellectually, how do we parse... The argument of digital blackface from the argument that white Western civilization, quote unquote, Western civilization, which is of course a stupid reification and not real, right? I mean, we know, I mean, we can have a whole podcast series that. on that, but, right. but but let's but let's <laughs> but let's <laughs> let, let's just let's just set that to the side. How right. do we parse those two arguments from people saying that like science is because of white culture, science is because of the West, um, you know, democracy is because? I mean, of course, these are. It's just, I mean, I don't think any of us, other than if we were just trying to be patient with someone, would we certainly wouldn't entertain these arguments seriously amongst ourselves. We might right. entertain them in a larger context because you need to. But can you parse those two arguments? They seem to be coming from, this, from a similar point of view about mm. authenticity and culture.
3: I agree, but all the things that you mentioned uh, for Western civilization were both positive, right? Democracy. Um, a, a lot of the things that get attributed to Western civilization are very good things. And what I'm saying that digital blackface often does is allow for negative emotions, emotions that were penalized for, particularly women, like anger, um, like negativity, and, and uh, emotions that get out of hand. Uh, I, I think that we're seeing a lot of digital blackface. Face saying the things that we want to say, um, and so I totally agree with your analysis that it's because of WASP culture that um, we're told that we have to be kind of quieter, and and so we feel as though this is a way to express ourselves. But I think that oftentimes. When we talk about Western civilization, we're attributing positive things, and when we use digital blackface, we're taking uh, emotions that are not always held in high regard in society and then applying it. Um, to black people to allow the, it to express for us and and it's a mask it's a theatrical mask mm-hmm. that we're putting on um, and that's I think why they're calling it digital blackface and this is something that goes way back in time the use of masks in order to express cultural attributes that are stereotyped and attached to certain ethnicities
0: Sure. So, Mm. so I'm, uh, I I, want to let Seth or Stephen respond also. I'm with you uh, on that. The only thing that I would, I'm not entirely convinced by is that I feel like amongst intellectuals, there's a kind of echo chamber about what is regarded as negative in the culture at large. I am not at all convinced that people outside of the academy or outside of people that you know, read the New York Times regularly or read books regularly, that they would identify the strong expression of emotion as a negative. Um, I I have lots of people that I interact with on a regular basis that would not necessarily um, describe the, the sort of umbrella that you're using of like negative emotional expressions as a negative and and is actually just a mode of expression and something that they might, uh, egg on or something that they might, and, and I would say is probably somewhat reflected in our politics right now that, that there is clearly, um, I think we are—we're both sort of on the same page around what we see as the downfalls of this overly restrained uh, emotional expression in public. I don't know that the rest of the culture at large is there with that negative ascription. May, I could be wrong about that, right? I'm not saying I, I have like some special pulse, um, mm-hmm, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I am skeptical of that. I don't know that they're as anxious as we are about it.
1: So it was something that Sarah said that brought me to a James Baldwin quote. I believe it's from Here Be Dragons, um, mm-hmm. and it's an essay about masculinity and i and and the ideal manhood, right? Mm-hmm. And in the in the piece, he says. Being a faggot allows um, a a traditionally masculine man, I'm not, this is not verbatim, allows, Mm. calling someone a faggot allows that man to act out a fantasy on another man's body without taking any responsibility for it. Mm. And I think about that emotional disconnect or the dissonance that we're talking about with using, um, digital blackface as a way of connoting some kind of response to something. And I was trying Mm -hmm. to figure out if I'd ever seen a meme um, that contradicted... Not contradicted the whole thing, but just like, do do I ever see... That so white women are allegedly frail, right, so they 're frail and they're like always falling apart, and they can't handle anything. Mm-hmm. you know white men don't have big dicks, um so I was thinking mm-hmm. about these memes right, and I was like, well, they're all pretty fucked up right for the most mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. um well i, I won't go all, I won't go wholesale because I've seen some memes I thought were really funny, like a one about Jesse Smollett where (laughs) it's
2: like you know God we're already laughing you know
1: and it's funny I'm trying to grab grab the text together in my head but it was something to the effect you know um, America is winning so well you know that a black man has to go to get an African to (laughs) Oppress him. Right. Which is so entangled and weird and funny (laughs) and like, you know, pulling it apart is ridiculously um, useful to kind of think about his case. Right. So memes can be really, really instructive. It's just what are they instructing and what are Mm -hmm. they just basically parodying, you know, in Mm -hmm. terms of what people think they believe about other people. Mm -hmm. Morrison wrote a book called Paradise and the first line of it is called They Shoot the White Girl First. With the rest of them, they could take their time. And what she's trying to do she, in subsequent interviews and, um, and other things, she said, I want to show that it didn't matter what race meant in this novel.
0: You've mentioned this before. I love this. Uh, right. This and I think it was really this, important yeah.
1: to think about when we, she says, the, the race is the least reliable piece of information you have about someone. Because Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you go to that thing, right? And you go to that person and then you have to be in Sarah's face or in Travis's face or Seth's face or Steven's face and you what are you left with? If you you know, if you if you shed yourself or if you're honest or you're vulnerable and you just listen and do, you know, and be open, you know, and porous with your feelings. That's a different kind of relationship than just going Travis is this, Sarah is this and um Seth is this, you know. Mm. So. And
2: I want and I and I want to add on that on add on to that this idea that part of the positive register mm-hmm. of human feeling is we get there. We're aided to get there by black music, right? Because as Wesley Mars says in his essay, in the 1619 project, uh, music that, the, that, 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 through music, music, no one composed quote unquote composed because enslaved people were denied literacy, mm-hmm. music born of feeling of play of exhaustion of hope that and I'm thinking that that is exactly why you can see in some again with the quotes quote unquote white musicians, you can hear that you can hear the feeling. You can hear the play. You can hear the exhaustion. You can hear the hope. You can hear it in Kenny Loggins. Mm-hmm. I I would argue you can hear the hope in Michael McDonald. You can hear it in Melissa Etheridge. You can sometimes hear it in Josh Stone. You can definitely hear it in Sam Smith when he sings Stay With Me, um, Because um, You're All I Need. Uh, you can hear it in even Jamie Lydell. There are ways in which... The vernacular, which is, I think, a way to talk about um, this without using the quotes, the vernacular of music that's great. that taps Actually, into you. that exhaustion and that hope and that unrestrained joy, that is being moved by the spirit. And that's something that I think black people have brought to the table and made available for all of us to take a part of, right? Take part in and and ennobled it. That's the thing, right? Like um Wesley Morris even points this out in in his piece uh talking about R&B, how R&B sort of raised uh raised the whole game up from this place of 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 sort of degradation because it made black people stars, it made them shine, it made it gave them the wardrobe and the backing vocalists and the production values, but but aside from that, what I think black music has done what the vernacular has done is it's brought us to the place where we can say it's okay to make music from a place of exhaustion, of hope, of mm, um, mm-hmm. of muddied emotions, of uh, noise, right? Yeah, it's that, a very that, punk that
0: sensibility, of... actually.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So that kind of soul, that spirit, mm. is precisely what uh, we celebrate mm. when we talk about black music. Mm. Oof.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. A few thoughts back, I was thinking that What's dangerous about saying that white people have no emotions <laughs> or exactly. have not made any emotional like you can't get? <laughs> I'm sorry, you can't tear me away from Ricky Lee Jones. You will never tear me from Tom Waits. Amen, just certain amen, things you're not and I don't yeah. think that they're aping black music. Amen, yes. amen. So, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's that's up for Go ahead. Um, I'm, all. I'm saying is that's up for um, for argument for discussion, but no, no, there's just something. There. I mean, I think
0: you know yeah. to to soften. I mean, I think you know. Sarah asks pointed questions about how they're used in contemporary culture. And I think they're fair questions and skepticisms. Um, but I, I do think that if you were to do a larger reading of the United States, that the way, you know, I mean, earliest recorded Usage of white people that I'm aware of is Thomas Middleton in like 1604 or something like that. So you know, the 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 invention of the white race or that Mm -hmm. there was a white race is you know goes back to the 17th century. But there is a way in which it was perfected in the United States, and 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 what quote unquote whiteness meant and its associations with liberty and freedom and all the rest of that. Um, But that isn't the case anymore, right? I mean the the, the, mm, the most aspirational aspects of what whiteness ever meant have been superseded by blackness, right? I mean that, that mm. our our significations of of liberation and freedom are are brought to us by the most recent iteration of that struggle, which is mm. the black struggle in this country in particular over the the most oppre, oppressive sophisticated legalized racial system ever or our our system of prejudice in probably in the history of the world i mean i know the egyptians are really good at it and i know i'm sure sarah could school us on on the romans and the greeks and and but but we were really good at it and that was mm-hmm. overcome by a segment of the population and i think that i think white I think white America, again, I'm using air quotes, doesn't know what to mm-hmm. do with that, right? Mm-hmm. We we don't get to look back at Jefferson and Washington in uncomplicated ways anymore, but we do mm-hmm. get to look at King. We do get mm-hmm. to look at Malcolm X. I'm not saying these people are unalloyed, but I'm saying that they, mm-hmm. they certainly strike a chord with us in a way mm-hmm. That those other figures don't, and I don't think the culture—we just don't know what to do with it. Like we're—it fucks us up. We don't, you know, where do where do our stories go from here?
2: I'm I'm recalling uh, a podcast I I heard a bit of. I back in the day when, and this is like five years ago, is back in the day. In this Mm -hmm. instance, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: when I tried to be a bit more ecumenical about my news reading
3: i -hmm. would check
2: out the right wing blogs and and sites like laura ingraham and steve Mm -hmm. levin and um what's his name um the 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 guy is it beck Um, oh
0: glenn beck glenn beck thank you Mm -hmm.
2: and i was listening to his a bit of his podcast Uh, I think it was a podcast, um, from his site. And he was waxing on about George Washington. And in a very, I don't want to mock him in this instance, even though he's completely worthy of being mocked. Um, But in a very emotional um, and, and kind of porous way, he was talking about George Washington crossing um, I think it was the Delaware River, um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and mm-hmm. during one campaign. And he's talked about, again, he was clearly moved by the story as he's telling it. He's talked about how George Washington crossed over, he was leading this um, troop of men, and he didn't know, he didn't have assurances that once he got to the other side, he would have the supplies he needed. He would be able to take care of his men, basically be able to keep the men under his charge alive, something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And he said he crossed the river and he didn't know. He didn't know. And he was waxing on about this. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, this is what it looks like when... You have a myth that is super dear to you. Mm. Super, super dear to you. Mm. And you hold on to that motherfucker tight, mm. right? So right. you. Mm. And then so, I
3: think it's important to point mm-hmm. out. Um, Right, that the Delaware River was frozen at the time um, and that actually the very famous painting of Washington crossing the Delaware Mm -hmm. is a mythical aesthetic recreation of something Mm -hmm. that never happened. And yet Glenn Beth loves to refer to this painting Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and yet that painting (laughs) is an ideal myth that lives in his mind and not a reality. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a Mm -hmm. metaphor for... Uh, Right now, Um, but sadly for a lot of how history is remembered through omission and then through aggrandizement that we graft onto Washington, and that is to say white people graft onto Washington the hopes and dreams of the year 1776, but it's a bunch of white people in a boat that never really happened the the way it is depicted but it's it's a yeah. romance of history that Glenn Beck loves as a pseudo historian mm-hmm.
0: yeah I think the the om- omission and aggrandizement is a very elegant summary Agreed. of how of how those myths and how history is written I think that's yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly right I mean that's exactly <laughs> what happens that's how those things move
3: yeah.
0: um, Sari, i can't you know so you, we don't're not able to see you so I can't tell if you're if you are wanting to pop in with something so I mean do you have I mean anything that you want to say I mean we're coming we're pretty close to time we got a few minutes left but
3: right I, I just wanted to kind of say that I, I think that I, I do think that cultural appropriation ideas have gone really far at least in Iowa City, we had a dumpling place that opened up um, by a white woman, um, which everybody in in Iowa City got up in arms about uh, because the the recipes had been taken um, allegedly from uh, had been culturally appropriated, and this was very similar to the tortilla recipe cultural appropriation story that came out uh, I think a couple of years ago now uh, of women in in Oregon, I believe, who went and mm. got tortilla recipes from um, young or, or um, from grandmothers in Mexico. Um, so I do think that cultural appropriation is is very difficult to grapple with in music and in food. And it's something that that is pointed out, particularly by the 1619 Project, that a big point of this is just to reference back um, where the information came from. Mm, And so, you know, when we think of pecan pies or pecan pies, uh, if you Mm. would like to say it um, incorrectly, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I think that part of it is just knowing context and depth. Yes. (laughs) Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think food, uh, which we will probably get to next time, food is very close to music, and that it's hard to give verbal uh, or written footnotes, um, but that at least recipes um, can allow us to have a little bit more context and attribution Agreed. than music uh, can, because audio is just very different uh, medium mm. than writing is.
2: Agree, mm. agree. I think that I think that we can also get make a way for ourselves even in uh, audio genres to tell stories, to tell yeah. the story of the mm-hmm. thing. Like when well, yeah. you get, when you have the opportunity to make the YouTube video, when you get interviewed for such and such uh, an outlet or a magazine, tell the story, mm-hmm. tell the story mm-hmm. of where this came from. Don't mm-hmm. say that it's just like, you, it just yes. grew mm-hmm. out of your own head or, or, or yeah. it
0: came out to you in, in, in a yeah. dream.
2: Yeah, exactly. exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen, do you have anything to to close us out with? Or
1: <laughs> oh yes, another Joni Mitchell update. <laughs> oh lord! <laughs> so here's yet another one. Oh so here we CNN, go. CNN. <laughs> she's quoted in CNN. This is February 11, 2015. Mm-hmm. And what she says is, she um, this is the Canadian wisp of a singer feels she shares an affinity with black men. When I see a black man sitting, <laughs> I have a tendency to go, you know, like like I not like a, like I'm a brother. She told New York Magazine, I really feel an affinity because I've experienced being a black guy on several occasions. Mm. (laughs) Here's the last, here's the last line, the last two lines of the article. She claimed it started with comments by her dentist. Oh, medical stuff. We got medical stuff coming up here, folks. One day he said, you've got the worst bite I've ever seen. You have teeth like a Negro male. I have dropped the piece of paper. You cannot see it. I've dropped the mic. I'm all done there you have it oh all my god all the things that we learn so, oh, so
0: Steven can sh- you can you just at the end of every podcast come up with an appropriate Joni Mitchell anecdote because
2: <laughs> I just
1: oh wow I just, <laughs> oh but there's so
2: many agreed
1: <laughs> I could totally wow so <laughs> oh my
2: god I wow,
1: just wow, think
0: wow. it's hilariously uh, and fun it, it, it and is just, it is you guys wow, are going to have to show me how to nod next time I see you so <laughs> you, what you watch
2: movies it's, it's a little bit like this <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, so, okay, as always, thanks very much for the conversation, and uh, I'll speak to you guys soon. Yay, right, take, all all right, take care. Bye bye. Thank you.